Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody full of energy? Uh, all right. Hey, we are excited. We're jumping in. Uh, as you guys know, for the next like three months, we're going to be studying the book of Romans, which is really cool because it's verse by verse, and it's kind of laid out from now until just after Easter, and then we might take a break and then pick up, but either way, it's a fairly long book. And the way we look at dissecting scripture is this, and the way this works is the verses are laid out week by week, sermon by sermon. And so whatever's talked about this week was predetermined. You know what I mean? So if you think I looked at your life this week and decided to preach on something, it just fell in the book of Romans, all right? And so that's kind of the cool thing about what's called expository preaching. Is expository preaching, you read your way through a whole book and everything's done in a, in a greater context. Versus like marriage sermon. Hey, I'm doing a sermon on marriage. The verse says, I could do all things through Christ that gives me strength. All right? And then, you know, that's not really the context of that verse, right? That verse is about being persecuted. And some of you are persecuted in your marriage. Just, just kidding. Maybe you are. Sorry, that could have been deep. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, we, there's a danger of using verses out of context. And what we try to do is put them in the context, and then we can make application to our lives based on God's word in its original context and form. Sound good? So again, it's kind of like, you know, we're dissecting it together. So we're going to read, um, we're going to start in Romans 2, verse 17 through 24. Again, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and the Roman church was filled with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and there was always disagreement about either who's better or whose way is right. And so Paul is kind of this week addressing the Jewish Christians, okay? And so let's get into this. Romans 2, 17 through 24 is the first section. And then we'll go down to verse 25 a little bit later. But the first section says this. But if you, is there a little feedback? Okay. There might be a little like, mm, okay. But Romans 2 says this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor to the foolish and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And you who abhor idols or hate idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay? That's our first passage. So the last time I spoke... Uh, two weeks ago, it was that whole list of sins, if you guys remember, like that whole list of sins. And in a sense, he's talking to the Gentiles because the Gentiles said, hey, we didn't have the law. We are innocent, you know, like we didn't have the law, so we made mistakes. And Paul said to the Gentiles, no, you had your conscience and you violated that. And now here the Jews are kind of like saying, hey, we are better than you. We have the law, so we are better than you. And Paul says, no, you guys have the law, but you break it, okay? So either way, like, even though you have the law, you, you, you got to keep it, and breaking it doesn't really help, okay? 
And so this passage is to the Jewish Christians and how they treat Gentile Christians. He's saying, you claim to be a guide to the blind. You claim to be a light in the darkness. You claim to be a teacher of little children. And he's talking to them like that's how they're treating the Gentiles. You know what I mean? Like, I am just going to guide these simpletons around, and I'm going to teach them the way, and I'm going to show them the true way. And he's saying, you do that, but you actually aren't even following your own instructions. They're putting themselves up on a pedestal higher than other Christians, saying they're a guide, they're a teacher, they're a light, blah, blah, blah. And what Paul kind of does here and throughout this message today or throughout this passage and the rest of chapter 2 is he gives what I'm going to call three gut punches, all right? Now, if anybody here has ever been punched in the gut, it doesn't really feel good, right? Especially when you don't see it coming, all right? And Paul, he kind of butters them up, he butters them up, he butters them up, and then he punches them in the gut, okay? So I have three gut punches for you from Paul and see how it applies to your life, all right? Um, but he butters them up by, he said, you know, you're a guide to the blind. You're a light to the darkness. You're all these good things. But, dot, 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 okay? So the first gut punch, gut punch number one is this. You are a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite, okay? That's the first thing he says. Now look, see verse 21 and 23 up on the screens or in your Bibles. He's saying, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? And you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And so he's calling out sins that they are specifically doing. Like you're saying don't steal, but I know you steal. You're saying don't commit adultery, but I know that you guys are committing adultery. And then you steal, from, you steal idols from temples. And you who boast in the law and think the law is so great, you dishonor God by breaking the law. And so he's saying something's not measuring up. Like you're being a hypocrite. And we all know what a hypocrite is, right? Somebody who tell, who like teaches one thing and, and pretends to be one thing, but they're actually another. Or somebody who doesn't actually do what they're teaching, okay? And so we always need to be careful that we're not a hypocrite. Or, you know, Justin said this last week, we're not a plank guy. And so we don't call somebody out on something that we do too, right? It's not saying that we can't teach people or we can't call people out or we can't hold people accountable. But we got to make sure we're teaching ourselves first. And this is kind of the first thing that I learned as being a pastor is they said when you prepare a sermon or a teaching lesson, the first person you teach is yourself, right? Because if I'm getting ready to teach all this before God, I got to make sure that I can live up to what I'm teaching or at least I'm trying my best to do what I'm teaching, right? I can't teach you guys, hey, you need to forgive somebody if I'm not willing to forgive the people in my life. That would, be, that would make me a hypocrite. I can't teach you guys to honor your marriage vows if I break my marriage vows. I can't teach you guys, you know, so on and so forth. So the first person I preached to was always myself. But you look at verse 23, it says this. So you know the word, but you don't apply it. You know the word, but you don't apply it. You know it so well, but you don't apply it. That's the problem. How many people know people that can just recite scriptures off the top of their head? All right, they know the scriptures, they know them off the top of their head, they know all the right answers, and they can just fire it off, fire it off. And he's saying, that's good, it's good to memorize scripture, but if you know all that, it doesn't do any good if you don't live all that, right? Like knowing it is just half of the battle. And so he's saying, you, you know the word, but you don't apply it to your life. That's the problem. 
Um, you know, and, and, you, and you tell people to, to do this or to go to this, and they're like, I already know that. You know what I mean? Like, I've already done that. I know that. I know that book of the Bible, frontwards and back. I know it. And it's like, okay, I know that you know it, but do you apply it? Because I'm telling you to read it for a specific reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the same way, I don't know if any of you ever do counseling, but I went to a, a mini marriage counseling seminar this week, and it was really good. And really in marriage counseling, they just try to get you, or marriage counseling, or just counseling if you need counseling, they really just tell you what to do. They help you figure out about yourself, and they tell you, if it's a biblical counselor, they tell you biblically the right way to go. And if you come back from a counseling session, and you're like, oh, I don't really buy what they're saying. Okay, number one, you're not being teachable or moldable. You don't want to apply what they're saying. That's number one. But number two, it's, if you think, you know, if you think you know more than the counselor or you think that you got it all figured out, you're not going to apply anything that they say. And so people who say, I've tried counseling, it doesn't work. The thing about it is, I know you tried it, but did you apply it and really apply it to your life, the advice that they gave you? Did you, did you apply it? Because knowing it isn't the battle, it's living it, okay? And that's why people who just want more Bible studies, more Bible studies, more Bible studies, y'all need some application studies, all right? You know the Bible frontwards and back, and you could recite all these verses, but if you're not living it, it doesn't matter. It's kind of what Paul's saying here, okay? And so he goes on, and so it, it talks about this hypocrite thing, and I want to I wanna give a little image for this. But they talk about being a hypocrite, and being a hypocrite is noticing other people a lot more than you notice yourself. It's finding flaws in other people more than you do yourself, okay? And so I always say it this way. In life and in conflict, you're either going to walk around with a mirror or a window. A mirror or a window. And I'm going to show you guys. Uh, I brought both up here, so I want to show this. But here's a window, okay? And so I'm looking at the window. Guess what I'm seeing? Guess what I'm seeing? Every, I'm seeing everybody else. I'm seeing everybody else. So we got problems in the church, and guess what? I'm looking at you, seeing your problems, seeing what you don't do right, and I'm looking through the window at everybody else, right? I'm looking at you, and I'm teaching you, look at your problems, look at, look at what you're doing wrong. Like, I could see it very clearly because I'm always looking through the window, okay? And when you look through the window, you're going to just notice other people's failures, other people's shortcomings, other people's problems, and you have a chance to become a hypocrite. Oh, look at you, look at you, look at those glasses, look at, the, look at, you know, look at that. And I'm looking at you, and all I find is problems with you, okay? Now I'm going to put this right here. Uh, that's, that's not going to fall. Okay, good. What the Bible talks a lot about is mirrors. He's saying you got to look in the mirror, all right? Now, how many of you, like, hate to catch yourself off guard looking in the mirror? You know, if I just put this right in your face, you're like, ooh, you know, like, I'm not ready for that. Um, <laughs> How many of you get on your smartphones and it accidentally flips to camera mode and it shows a shot of your face and you're just like, you're just like looking at your face. You're like, oh, is that me? Like, ah, ah, There's a reason behind that. Part of it is we don't like looking at ourselves in the mirror when we're not ready. <laughs> I know it. Ladies and guys, if you're going to look at yourself in the mirror, it's when you get out of the shower and you're just looking at the mirror, and you ever see somebody look in the mirror? They have a totally different expression on their face than they never have in real life. Like, 
Like, you don't walk around like that, like giving the duck face all day. Like, you should just look in the mirror like this. And look at yourself in the mirror. And there's a reason I'm getting to this. The Bible says, like, the word of God is a mirror, right? It shows us. Like, this is a mirror. I'm looking at myself. And you look at yourself, all right? You look at yourself. Okay, there's some bright lights on some of you. And when we get into a conflict, instead of looking at the window at everybody else, we should first start by this. What's wrong? What's, what's going on in my life first? We need to teach ourselves first. We need to look in the mirror first. And when you look in the mirror, it takes the focus off of other people and what they're doing wrong and their faults, and it shows you your faults. It shows you your shortcomings. It shows you your problems. And I'm not saying this so we could hate ourselves or loathe ourselves or be mad at ourselves, because when we see our shortcomings, we can bring it to the Father and receive forgiveness for ourselves. But if we are too busy looking at everybody's self, we're never going to look in the mirror and realize that we have some problems too, right? And this is a quick, this is out of context. It doesn't have to do anything with the sermon. But in marriages, a lot of times, and I hope this doesn't fall and I get bad luck. Okay, I'm just kidding. I don't superstitious. In marriages, when we are, have our spouse and our marriage is in turmoil, the first thing we do is look at them and say, man, our, and we said this at the men's retreat, my marriage would be so much better if my wife would get her act together. We said that at the men's retreat. And now, wives, my marriage would be so better if my husband would just get his act together. You know, don't we say that? If they just fix their problems, we would be so much better off. We would be great. And what we're doing when we do that is, is putting the blame on the other person. And what it's saying is, in marriage conflict, we just have to do this. In marriage counseling, all the counselor is going to do is give you a mirror and your wife a mirror, and he's going to say, both of you need to look in the mirror and stop focusing on the other person. What do, what do, I, what do I need to fix? Okay, I come home after work, you know, I'm mean, I play video games for two hours, I, I just have a six-pack of beer. Like, what can I do better? What can I do better? Forget about what your wife isn't doing. Forget about what your husband isn't doing. That's not the issue. The issue is what can I change? Because guess what? You can't change the other person. You can only change yourself. And so we need to look in the mirror at ourselves and not the window. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about right here is being a hypocrite. He's saying you're so busy pointing out the flaws in other people that you don't notice the flaws in yourself and it's causing you to be a hypocrite. So if you're in a conflict in church, if you're in a conflict in your marriage, if you're anything, the first place we start is with the mirror. Then once we perfect that, then we can go out to the window. It's not saying you can't help other people or do that, but we need to focus on ourselves and really just look at where we're falling short before we start um, searching for the shortcomings in other people. Um, I'm going to try to leave this right here, and it might be good. I'm just going to leave it. Um, so always look in the mirror first and not the window. And, you know, I say this too because sermons, okay, I'm going to say this real quick. This is another little bonus. In sermons, we as Christians do this all the time. We hear an awesome sermon. We hear the Word of God preached. It's Holy Spirit anointed. And then in the sermon, we're thinking, my gosh, I hope Bailey's here. <laughs> I hope she's listening to this because she needs it. You know, Justin last week preached about judgment. And, you know, like I, I, I heard this from a couple different people. I was like, that message is so awesome. It was perfect for Sally. 
It was perfect. I'm so glad he preached on that. And I'm like, stop thinking about other people. Even right now, think about what God is trying to tell you and not what God's trying to tell other people. Because if God gives you a word, it's for you. It's not for them, all right? Unless the Holy Spirit's telling you to like tell somebody something else. But in this room, if you're here, this word is for you, not for that other person. And I, I, I wouldn't believe how much I heard that. Like, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so was here. They needed this word. It's like, no, no, sister. No, brother, you need the word. Like, you needed it. And you just judged them. And by doing so, you just violated his whole word that he taught. You know what I'm saying? And so I love all y'all people, but I just want us to look in the mirror because the way our life's gonna be better is if we look at the mirror and start taking responsibility for ourselves. Not just wishing other people would be better. Not wishing our coworkers were better. Not wishing, you know, our job situation, our kids would be better. Like, oh, we need to start on ourselves first and then move out from there. Amen? Good. Um, so there's another gut punch in this first section, I'll, and I'll share that right now. Um, verse 24, and this is a bigger gut punch. Um, he says this in verse 24, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's talking to Christians here. And he's saying because of your actions, you Gentiles are blaspheming God. So here's gut punch number two. Your actions are turning people away from Jesus. Wow. Holy cow. That's a huge gut punch. And he's talking to Christians. And so he's saying, and it could be contextualized for Jericho Road Church, it's like some of you guys, even though you're trying to do what's right, your actions are actually turning people away from Jesus. They're not drawing people in. They're not making people hunger for Jesus. They're actually turning people off to Jesus because they see your life and it makes them want nothing to do with your God. And that's what Paul says here. He's like, they blaspheme God because of you. And that was like the biggest insult, especially you could have given a Jewish Christian. Like, what? Um, so we're supposed to be reaching neighborhoods, pushing people away. I have two stories in this regard. Two stories. Um, one's kind of funny, one's more serious. But the funny one is this. And, I, and this first story is not directed at anybody here, okay? So if you think I'm directing it at you, it's not. It's somebody, like, I got the idea from somebody else who goes to a totally different church, all right? So it's not y'all. Last Sunday night, there is this event on TV called the Super Bowl. I don't know if y'all watched it. Some, I hear a lot of people watch it. But there is this halftime show where Shakira and J-Lo were on stage doing all types of nasty things. All right? I'm not judging. I'm just saying that I was watching it, and I'm like, okay, this is a little sexualized, you know, and I kind of like went in the other room and got some Doritos and just went about my business. And then I realized on Sunday night and Monday, there is a lot of heat up among the evangelical community about this event. And I had a couple Christian friends from other churches be like, I am so outraged by what I saw. And I'm like, dang, what'd you expect? A Hillsong concert? It's the freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> and I'm not saying what they did was right, but think about it. Think about what Christians are doing when they go on social media. They are so outraged by what they saw. And I'm like, you are watching a Super Bowl halftime show. This isn't Unity Fest, all right? <laughs> like, like, what do you, like, like, what do you expect? 
You know, like some people are so surprised. They're like, my five-year-old can't watch Super Bowl halftime show. I'm like, 10 years ago, there's wardrobe malfunctions and things were coming out. All right? <laughs> like it's always been bad. It's always been sexualized. You know what I mean? Like two years ago, Gaga was up there wearing next to nothing. Like every year, Christians see this. And then they go on Facebook and rant about it and say how bad it is. And I'm like, what are y'all telling the world? You know what I'm saying? Now the J-Roll ladies are like, whoa, these ladies were 50? Oh man, they look good. You know what I mean? Like, and like, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, Christians, we don't walk up into a strip club and say, this is disgusting, and go on Facebook. I went to a strip club, I seen what was in there, and that was disgusting. <laughs> that was gross, and I am outraged. You know, like, we, there's certain places of this world that you're going to encounter that are very dark. The Super Bowl halftime show never claimed to be a Billy Graham crusade. And so when you go on, and I say all this because when you go and rant, it, it, whether you're right or wrong, and, you know, my kids weren't in the room when they were up on the pole, and that's fine. Like, that's how I parent, and I don't want, you know. But I'm not getting mad at the world because I know I have lost neighbors that I'm Facebook friends with, and some of them thought it was the most amazing show ever. And I get on there and say, I am disgusted. If anybody likes this, they're gross people, blah, blah, blah. And you know what I've done? I've kind of pushed away the neighbors that I'm trying to reach who, who like that and think that was cool, but I'm dying on the wrong hill. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm choosing my battles, people. Choose your battles. Like, it's, a, it's the Super Bowl halftime show, and I'm not, if it makes you upset, that's the world's getting worse and worse. It's not long before you're going to see full nudity on ABC, NBC, and Fox. I promise you. The world's getting worse and worse and worse, and it's no point of getting raging and yelling at the world and be like, y'all are gross. It's just to be like, we need to reach these people for Jesus. And you know what? If it offends you, don't watch it. Don't watch it. It's okay. I flipped it off once the poll came out. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once the poll came out, I'm out. It's okay. I've seen enough. Um, and that's all right. But I say that because sometimes our actions push people away. It's okay to stand up for what you believe in, but understand the context of what you're, we're griping about. Second story, more serious, about our actions push people away from Jesus. Um, so my, my, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I never went to church until I was 16, and I got saved when I was 16 and went to church. My mom and dad never went to church. They didn't really care to go to church. They weren't Christians. They weren't bad people. They just weren't Christians. Um, but my dad actually grew up in church. He grew up in the Church of Christ. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Church of Christ. It's kind of maybe bigger than the other side of the state. And he was going there, and at the age of 16, he has a salvation experience. That's pretty cool. Like, they had a guest speaker come in, like a revival. This is like 1975, y'all. And, and he went in there and he got saved. He came forward, got saved, and was baptized that night. And he was a Christian throughout the rest of high school, okay? And he lost his way shortly after high school. But right after high school, um, he got a job at GM, okay? GM in Toledo, powertrain, they make transmissions. He's currently worked there like almost 40 years. He's retiring in a couple months, so that's cool for him. But he got a job there in 1978 and um, got a job there in 1978. And the person who got him a job was the elder of his church. So there's an elder of the church, you know, like a Brian Kubinek or like an Andy Carlson. And they got my job, this, my dad, this job at GM. And so my, you know, at 18, back in 78, that was a great job. 
And so my dad started working there, and he started to realize that this elder, his life was totally different at GM than the man my dad saw on Sundays. Totally different lifestyles. Um, and I actually texted my dad about this a couple days ago, and I said, can I use this story? And, and I said, is this true? I want to make sure my facts straight. He's like, yeah, it's true. And he said the man was having an affair with one of the front office ladies at GM. And after my dad was there for two years, this guy left his wife and kids for this office lady at GM and left the church and all this stuff. And at that point, my dad said, I don't want anything to do with church. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. He might have left anyway. But I'm saying that this man's actions actually push people away from Jesus. Like that's an elder. Like he's preaching sometimes at the workplace and then his lifestyle is totally different than it was at, at church. At church, he's this holy man. Everybody respected him. But somewhere else, he lived a double life and he was doing some evil things. My dad might have drifted anyway at that time, but this man didn't help. And think about the missed opportunity that, that this man had. If this man was on fire of Jesus, he could have discipled my dad at the workplace. He could have said, hey, Jim, you know, my dad had the same name as me. Like, hey, Jim, like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that at work, man. Let me, let me, let's go read the Bible together. Let's go pray. And this man could have been a light to his coworkers. But because of his sin, he caused people to leave. And I'm saying, what you do matters. Your double life matters. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. You're pushing people away. And you could actually bring them in. You could do good things and turn it into bad things. You understand? What Paul's saying is, and this is a deeper, and, I'm, and I'm, I got this word, but it might be too far, but it's better to not go to church at all than to go to church and lead a totally double life. It's probably better to not go to church at all than to go to church and lead a totally double life. I'm not saying you don't sin, you don't make mistakes, you don't slip up. I get that. We're all going to slip up at work and hit and say a bad word on the assembly line. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about leading a double life. Leading a double life, God hates it. And it causes people to walk away from the faith. And it, and it really didn't help my dad and probably caused my dad to walk away because my dad still talks about it. He's still upset about it. So does your life bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ or does it push people away? Outside of church, out in the world, out in your jobs, out in the road, does your life bring honor to Jesus and bring glory to Jesus or does it cause people to be disgusted by Jesus? That's what we need to ask yourselves today. And we need to live a life that brings glory and honor and make people just praise Jesus just by our life. And people should see our lives and see Jesus in you and not see evil. Okay? I'm going to move on to the next passage. So the first gut punch, you're a hypocrite. Second, your actions are turning people away from Jesus. So this next portion, verse 25 through 29, is, is, is the last portion. And in it talks a lot about circumcision. You know, you, most of you know what circumcision is. There's some nurses in the room you could talk to if you don't know what it is. I'm sure they'll fill you in. All right? So verse 25 through 29 says this. Um, Paul's saying to Jews who were being circumcised, and what they were doing too is they were telling Gentile Christians, like, hey, you need to become circumcised then you can get baptized and become a Christian, right? Like it's kind of, like they're basically saying you need to become a Jew first, then a Christian. And they were so proud of their circumcision. They were so proud of the circumcision because it showed them that they were holy, that they were people of faith. Because that's really what it was back in the Old Testament. It was a sign of the covenant that you had with God, okay? 
So that's what Paul goes into. Verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. You actually get your circumcision reversed if you're a lawbreaker. Um, metaphorically speaking, of course. Verse 26. So, if a man who is uncircumcised, which was an evil dude, a Gentile, you know, uncircumcised man, or so if a man is uncircumcised and he keeps the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So if a Gentile who's physically uncircumcised obeys Jesus, he's basically circumcised in his heart because he's following Jesus. So he's talking about these two things. He's saying that if, you, if your heart is for Jesus, you're circumcised. If your heart is not for Jesus, you're uncircumcised. Do you get, you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what the outside says. It doesn't matter what the physical appearance says. It's what matters in the heart, okay? Now, now let me go back. I'll read verse 26 real quick. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and the circumcision but break the law. So he's saying the Gentiles who are totally physically uncircumcised, they'll actually condemn you because they keep the law and so they'll be judging you. And so Jews at that time were like, what? A Gentile judging me? That's insane. But he's saying they'll actually judge you because they keep the law and you don't. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely an outwardly, nor is the circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the... Awesome, you guys are trucking along. Uh, circumcision is a matter of the heart. So why does Paul say that? It's a matter of the heart, what you're doing in here. By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, not by the letter, um, his praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, this is a very deep passage and it probably could be preached on for a long time, but I'm gonna get to the, try to dissect it in the nuts and bolts for you. Um, so we know what circumcision is, the sign, we know what that, we talked about that. Um, the law was fulfilled in Jesus. So some of the ceremonial laws like circumcision and animal sacrifice, some of that was fulfilled in Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice who died on the cross. So some things didn't have to be done as is said. The law was fulfilled in Jesus, so there wasn't a need for circumcision. Um, new Christians didn't have to be circumcised, okay? They didn't have to be, um, but Jewish Christians disagreed. So what we have here is an outward sign of an inward faith. I have an outward sign. That's what circumcision was for them. It's an outward sign of an inward faith. Um, I like to show my faith outward so everybody sees my faith. You following with me? I want to show my faith outward so people see my faith and so that makes me a good person, right? What are some examples that we do? Again, this is probably a cliche example, but an outward sign of my faith is a Christian fish on the car, right? I put a Christian fish on the car, that's an outward symbol of my inward faith, okay? And so if I have the Christian symbol on my car, everybody sees that I'm a Christian and they know what's up. But he's saying, your Christian fish on your car isn't lining up with who you are on Saturday nights. You know what I mean? 
It's better to not have any Christian fish on the car and live for Jesus than to have fish, 50 Christian fish on the car and not live for Jesus. Okay, what's another outward sign that shows people that we're religious or shows people that we're Christians? What's that? Ba nepotism? No, baptism? No. <laughs> yeah, baptism, sure. You could be baptized and then not mean it in your heart, and your baptism doesn't mean anything if you don't have your heart. True. The baptism doesn't save you. The other one is maybe like a golden cross. Like, that's cool. I'm not like dissing any of these things. But what I'm saying is if you have a cross and you don't live it, you know, then it's saying there's an outward symbol of your inward faith that aren't matching up. So that's the point he's saying here. Um, so he's talking about this, and he's saying the no bumper sticker is better than your Christian fish because the no bumper sticker guy, he actually lives for Jesus. And even though you have these religious symbols, you don't live for Jesus, and that's turning people away and all these other things. Does your, uh, does your inward faith match your outward faith? Does, it, does your inward faith match your outward faith, faith? And there's the problem. Paul is saying, I don't care if you have a Christian fish on your car. I, if you don't walk the walk, it's no better than anybody else, okay? Sometimes Christians are so focused on what people can see. Think about this, right? Right? Like Christians are so focused on what people can see and that they neglect the most important part, which are the secret things of faith. Like, uh, I'm going to make sure I don't go to that restaurant because I'll get seen there. Like back in the day, it was a lot bigger deal. Like you weren't allowed to go to movie theaters. You weren't allowed to go to like, you know, pool halls or anything. And so if as long as I look Christian on the outside, it's okay. But Jesus is saying the inside faith is more important than what you display for the world. The inward faith. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the... Like, like really, if you are trying to impress people with your religion, God's saying stop it. Have that secret faith. Have that get up at five in the morning and do your devotion in the quiet secret place. That pleases God. That brings applause from God. And you're not going to get any applause from man for doing any of that stuff. God applauds what's unseen. Man applauds for what's seen. Right? That's why we value going to church so much. You know what I mean? Because it's seen and it's good. Like I value it and we need to be at church. But we can go to church for the wrong reasons. Certainly. So the next one is this, Matthew 6, 4, talking about the secret faith. So it says, keep your giving, your tithing in secret. Keep your tithing in secret. And your father who sees in secret will what? Yeah, like you don't need to brag about how much you give because God sees it and God's like, you are doing so good. I love you. You're, that's awesome. Your generosity is awesome. You're not going to get that from man and and. Unless you go up to the tithe box and you do the old uh, pull it out of your pocket and do the snap, snap. You know what I mean? Walk up to the tithe box and drop it in. Like, but just do that for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, do, just do it for Jesus in verse Matthew 6, 6. But if you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. Like, do, do that stuff in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you focus on your outside faith, 
um, just looking Christian or knowing the right things to say and behavior modification. You know what I mean? Like looking Christian, like I'm not going to wear that outfit at church. It's a little too revealing. I'll wear that on Saturdays, but I want people to know I'm a Christian at church. You know what I mean? Like it's not about that. Um, you are trying to show the world you're a Christian or show other Christians that you're Christian maybe. So gut punch, the last gut punch is this. And this is what he's telling the Jews, and this is what I'm telling you, and this is what I'm telling myself. You would rather do a religious act than surrender your life to Jesus. You would rather do a religious act, like circumcision, than actually surrender your life to Jesus. And so, let me expound on that. You're saying is, I want to do something easy that doesn't require me to actually surrender all to Jesus. I want to do something easy. Like, for instance... Um, something that appears holy but doesn't require my heart, that's circumcision. Like, I would rather go to church every Sunday than actually surrender my heart to Jesus. One is easy, one gets seen by others. But what Jesus is saying is, that's good, I want you in church, but the most important thing is surrendering your heart to me. And so the Romans were saying, I would rather do a religious act than actually surrender my life to Jesus, and that's circumcision. For many of us, we go to church as a religious act instead of giving our lives to Jesus. God's saying, I don't care that you go to church. If your heart's not for me, what's the point? If your heart's not with me, I don't care that you tithe. If your heart's not for me, what's the point? If you haven't surrendered all to Jesus, y'all could have slept in today. Did that bedside Baptist thing. And I say that, not because I don't want you here. I know a lot of you are here and your heart is totally surrendered to Jesus and you came here to worship. But for some of us, we are just here to be religious for a period of time, to make somebody else happy. Maybe make your mom happy, make your dad happy, make your you know, girlfriend happy, boyfriend happy. And he's saying, I want your heart. I love you. I don't want your religious acts. I want your heart. I want your soul, mind, body. So the worship team come up here and I'll say this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your attached garage doesn't make you a Jeep Grand Cherokee. <laughs> right? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your, car, in your garage makes you a car. Just being here doesn't make you a Christian. It's all what's happening in your heart for Jesus, giving your life to Jesus. Religion can't save you. That's what Paul's saying. Religion can't save you. Only Jesus Christ. The gospel says that we've all sinned. We can't make ourselves better. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't just do good things and try to make God happy. Jesus came to earth to live a sinless life. He died on the cross, satisfying God's wrath. So all we have to do is put our trust and faith in Jesus and ask forgiveness for our sins and we will be saved. Amen? And that's what you need to do. If you are here today and you are just trying to please God in different ways with religious acts, he's saying, stop it. Accept my son as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sins and I'll forgive them and be filled with the Spirit. And then you will be saved. Amen? That's all there is to it. There's nothing you can do. And if you want to be saved, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow might not come for some of you. Many of you know this. Today is the day for salvation. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's really just one easy step. Say yes to Jesus. Say, tell Jesus he can come into your heart, 
Ask the Holy Spirit to come in your heart. Ask forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future, and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and then commit to living for Jesus. I know that sounds like six steps, but it's really just one. Saying yes to Jesus, right? Yes, Jesus, you can have it all. I've tried to do this world thing for so long, and every time I do, I walk away feeling empty. And the more I try to fill myself with the world, the emptier I feel. And so I need you as my Lord and Savior. You can pray that in your heart. And then tell somebody about it. Tell me about it. Tell somebody else. But it's time to get saved. I got saved when I was 16 years old. My mom or dad didn't really care, but I felt Jesus calling me to a deeper life. And I've been changed ever since. So if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Because religion isn't going to save you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for what, you wrote, what Paul wrote, and you wrote through Paul to the Romans. And how we did get a few gut punches, God, but it's for our good. It's because you love us and you care about us. So God, I pray for that person here that isn't totally on board and their heart isn't for you, God, that they give their heart to you even now by just saying yes. I surrender all. I give you every room in my life. I give you every part of my life. It's yours, Lord. Take it. I surrender all. Not my needs, not my happiness, not my desires, not my self-satisfaction, but I'm going to live for you, Jesus, and I give my life to you now. Lord, I pray that people do that. I pray that people surrender it all to you because that's, as it says in John 10, 10, life to the fullest. And so, God, I just pray for us as a church that we don't rely on religion. We just rely on our Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.